Hey everyone, on this week's episode of the New How Podcast, Tony and I sit down with Jeff Greco of Legacy Capital and discuss his journey in business from 2003 when he was a financial advisor to getting fed up, moving out to San Diego, starting two internet marketing companies of which he was recognized by Internet Marketing Inc. as one of the top growing companies in America back in 2012. Uh, from there, he sold his company. He got into the mortgage notes industry, uh, opened up a business handling mortgage notes, uh, ended up getting out of that and starting Legacy Capital, uh, which is where he's at today. So a lot of exciting tidbits of information on growing and selling businesses and just you know being uh, excited in general about business and learning different ways of marketing those businesses and taking them to new heights. Um, so get ready. Here we go. This is the New How Podcast. Learning to build businesses and real estate in a new age of technology. This is our first episode today where we actually have a guest on. It's not just Tony and I going mm. back and forth hacking at mm. it. We actually have a guest on Thank today. God. And uh, a high-paying guest. A high, high <laughs> yes. Oh, in chicken wings and beer. He's, he's being paid. Um, no, today, uh, proud to announce we have Jeffrey Greco. Jeff Greco. Um, I don't, I don't want to say too much, Jeff, but you want to just give a little 30-second intro to who you are to the listeners and give a little high-level oversight? Sure. So, uh, co-founder of Legacy Capital, a uh, private lending business, uh, mostly focused in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, we've done some lending in surrounding states, but really focused on being Pennsylvania's private lender. Um, before that, uh, finance background, uh, started my career as a financial advisor, uh, lasted uh, under a year there, and I'm sure there's some good stories from that, um, and then uh, moved out to California on a whim, uh, packed up my Honda Civic at the time to uh, start a couple internet marketing companies with some friends, nice. and uh, I guess that lasted uh, eight years or so, and uh, then moved back, uh, I, don't know, I guess in 2011, uh, to uh, to Philadelphia area where I grew up. You you have family here, so that's the kind of. I do. Back. So I grew up in uh, in Montgomery County, and uh, I have a uh, family and family in the area, which is why I moved back and I met my now wife uh, the first weekend I moved back. I thought I was going uh, <laughs> to be by coastal uh, after I uh, I sold my company out there, and then. Uh, Let's just say I don't spend much time on the West Jump, Coast. Jumping up on a whim. I, I love it. So that was, so a couple of things you hit on. You, you, you were a financial advisor. You started a company. You sold a company. You moved back. And now you're doing financing for the real estate industry. Yeah. So pretty much that's the quick three-sentence yeah. summary of Jeff Greco. Yeah, I remember. So I, uh, I went to Emory in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I, had, uh, I got my Bachelor of Business down there. And I never forget, um, you know, by the age of 20, we were supposed to, declare what we're supposed to do for the rest right, of our lives. Right. <laughs> and I remember going into my advisor's office and she had, uh, you know, CNBC, you know, scrolling with like the stock tickers. <laughs> and I remember distinctively to this day, she tells me, you're a man. So this was in ninth, this was around two, 2000, 2001. I was in fourth grade. Okay. So I graduated in <laughs> three. She said, I, she said, you're a man, you're smart, you get good grades, you need to go into finance. 
And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, what does that even mean? I was like, I don't want to be on Wall Street. I was like, and I certainly, and I said this to her, which didn't go well. I said, I certainly don't want to be sitting in an office watching CNBC all day. And she like, didn't know what to say to that. But let's just say the conversation didn't end. I, I would have been pissed off. She didn't mention handsome in any of that. That, that would have frustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was, yeah, she, she didn't want to go there. Um, but so I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um. You know, so I, I knew that financial my I knew that financial advisors made good money, and um, I do like finance. Um, long story short, with there, um, I enjoyed selling insurance, but I really, for me personally, there was a uh, a mismatch between what clients really needed and mm-hmm. what I was allowed to sell them from regulation standpoint. Yeah. and yeah. so uh, being in a more wide open space now um, with finance. I mean, no one ever taught me you could be a real estate investor or like, you know, you could be an entrepreneur. It was kind of like, go to school, get a job, make some money, don't get fired. You know, you'll get a 401k. (laughs) And and I had, I think out of school, you know, what I, I mean, between like selling water and selling cow, I mean, I probably had like 10 10 different jobs before I finally found, you know, what I wanted to do. Likewise, <laughs> and I'm only 27. I'm, yeah. I'm still figuring it out. I think we're all always figuring it out. That's yeah, the cool yeah. thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. The one thing I, I want to touch about too, you know, obviously we, we do chat business. I mean, do you want to chat about your marketing? This is the sure. real estate business sure. and you know marketing podcast. Yeah. yeah so I think it would be helpful to just kind of tell that story a little bit, and then we can kind of go from there. So um, I I had a, a buddy. Um, one of my best friends uh, started a website called newcondosonline.com. So we were one of the first companies um, out of an apartment to transition developers from selling real estate in the newspapers to selling online. Mm. So I think condo or condos.com was one of our main competitors, but really we would literally sit in our apartment, order papers from uh, you know the Miami Herald, the, all the different papers we would And what get, year was this? When was this delivered. So uh, this was uh, around 2005, okay. um, so or, you know mid 2000s, cool. and so we knew what developers were paying um, to to have ad space, and essentially the pitch was, um, you know, do you want an online presence? And this was before like everyone had to have yeah. a website and all that. Were stuff. you running? Was this? Were you running like Google Paid AdWords and things with it? So how I can tell you our secret sauce now. So <laughs> actually, how we got our first traffic. We used to go around San Diego with, we literally pl- printed these flyers and we used to like tag flagpoles. Love I it. mean, we would, Love we, we would, we didn't know what we'd do. We would <laughs> post on Craigslist till like our account got blocked yep. and then go to a different one. If Craig is listening from Craigslist, it was all. <laughs> Sorry, Craig. Yeah. But we would post flyers. We would, uh, we did do significant amount of pay-per-click. We mm-hmm. started to understand search engine optimization. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we tried everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that, that's how we generated traffic. And we, you know, at that point had a significant amount of the new, you know, development companies. And you were uh, marketing not just in Miami, but you were like yeah, so we were Philly. So we were nationwide. So our, uh, our whole thing was, so if you went to newcondosonline.com, which I'm not even sure what the site is now, but <laughs> if, you, if you go to that site, we used to have the different cities, mm-hmm. right? So we used to have the Miami condos, the Las Vegas condos, yeah. the Chicago condos, and then it used to be rentals, and it used to be for sale, and uh, we used to have, essentially, we wanted to be, we wanted to take the idea of advertising in the newspaper and bringing that to an online setting where 
at that point, real estate developers and real estate in general didn't re- didn't understand how the internet worked. Right. I mean, we, look, it was just all kind of coming, and so we were riding the wave, and uh, we and figured it, a few things out. And everyone was like, "Oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work." Right? You know, you probably got a lot of those people. Yeah. Well, look, I think my whole life I got uh, <laughs> it's not going to work. Uh, my parents were good though when I told them I was moving to California for this website thing. They didn't understand it, but to my parents' credit, they never. They never said no. They may have given me the like, I don't understand it, yeah. but they're like, they didn't directly like stomp on my dreams. Mm. And uh, you didn't have hair down to your shoulders at this point. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We were in Southern California. Oh, we were right, in San Diego. Uh, we were okay. in San Diego. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just tried a bunch of things, and actually, from New Condos Online, you know, the 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 crash happened in two thousand seven, mm. and so uh, our clients would say to us. Hey, we like the fact you're generating us, you know, X number of leads a month and, you know, we get a few sales. And oh, by the way, if you don't help us sell 30 units in the next 60 days, we're going bankrupt. And we said, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of weight on your shoulder. And, and we said, well, you need to talk to our capital division. And, <laughs> and, and the, you know, at that point we were working out at LA Fitness. We had a friend who was a mortgage broker. We hung our license there. And uh, I took a crash course and got my California real estate license in a weekend. And uh, we hung our license there and we took a marketing fee. And we essentially were cold calling and putting together. We knew who was in distress. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were you know, cold calling slash trying to develop relationships with young guys to see who we could you know, parse this inventory. And this was during, so this was like height of the crash, like everyone's yeah, so, bankrupt. So, right, so you don't have to remember, so our... The, the business of New Connors Align, or NCO, was really about um, taking the marketing dollars. And at that time, real estate developers were flush with cash, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 they were getting easy money. Yep. They had a mo- lot of money yep. to build. They had a money, lot of money to market. And we just wanted to take a piece of it. Yeah, of course. A- and be responsible and deliver results in the whole thing. Well, when the financing dried up and their half-built condos in Las Vegas or Miami came to a screeching halt, yeah. Their money for advertising, you know, dried up as well, mm-hmm. and so then we had to get creative. Well, how do we pivot this business model yep. um, to do that? And so that's how you know, kind of all this happened. So it was essentially the projects would be built, and then after that, they're trying to market these well, things to sell, or was it all pre-construction? Yeah, actually, we did we did both. So we did new and pre-construction. Okay. So you know, sometimes on our website, the listing would be nothing but renderings, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how it is today building huge condo developments, but I think they had to sell X percent, whether it was 30% or 50%, you know, before they'd get their construction loan. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so we would help them be, you know, deliver on that, you know, pre, pre-sale pre phase. Right. And then as it was building, we would, uh, or built, we would help them, you know, deliver the rest. Yep. No, that's, uh, We're starting to see a lot more of that every yeah, day, you know. And it's almost people are demanding it now too, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely interesting coming from that. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's, I wasn't, really in real estate the last time full-time the last crash happened yeah um and you know i really backed into real estate as a function of marketing and um finance and so forth um so i'm geared up for the next one so so that's great so let's so obviously you learned a lot right you you saw the crash hit you know i think you know now you're not doing that you're not putting ads on craigslist late night right right and hanging banners up yeah but you know, let's maybe drive into you know kind of now what you're doing and yeah. And so so talking my, about that. so my uh, my personal education came. I saw you know they were called vultures back in the day. I'm not sure what they're called now, <laughs> but I saw 
the position that people who were in when they had money and when the market gave them an opportunity, they swooped in. Yeah. And so I literally, you know, I could tell you some stories about calling billionaires or talking to people who had a lot of money and they knew what they were willing to pay. They've seen this cycle before happen a few times. Mm -hmm. And I got what it was like to buy real estate distress, right? Mm -hmm. So fast forward a few years, I had another internet marketing company because our clients at the real estate dried up, they would say, hey, we want you to build a website. We yep. want you to do SEO. So we morphed into a full-scale internet agency. But mm -hmm. um, when I moved back to Philly, I uh, figured out a way to buy distressed real estate. Mm -hmm. And so I would buy the distressed mortgage notes um, prior to it going to, to sheriff sale. And so I became a full-time real estate investor at that time. Cool. What a squiggly line. You know, people think they have a path, yeah. and then they like, oh, I'm going to yeah. be a financial advisor. I'm going to go out and yeah. you know get my 401k. Yo, bro, I'm moving to California. You know? <laughs> what like a squiggly that. line! I yeah. love it. It's just, it's really exciting, and you know, honestly, I never knew all that about you. So yeah. it's really really cool to hear it from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about today. Yeah. You know, that, it's really exciting to see you in this office every day. You know, yeah. having a coffee and talking about certain things that we're trying to do. You guys sell me water at a really good price. <laughs> so I'm happy to use the water. Welcome cooler. to the watering hole. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Um, no, so I think, you know, the biggest thing, and it's something, you know, Dev, I, I almost consider you're a mentor to me in a way. You know, you're not that much older. You say you're older. It's that you I just have a few gray day. hairs. I'm not that yeah, old at all. I don't have all my hair. You, but well, I'll... you have more hair than I do. <laughs> so, you know, the one thing that I, I think you bring a lot of value to is like, what's the value of your company and really what's that adding? And, and I want this episode and for the listeners to understand, like, you know, understanding what your value add is as a company. And now this is like, what, your fifth company you're on? Yeah. Right? Like, I think yeah. at this point I, you I, have it kind I, of figured out. I don't know if selling soft pretzels during July 4th holidays really counts as a, as a company or we weren't, you know, just a sole proprietorship at that point. But um, so I think at the end of the day, you know, kind of looking back, whether I was a financial advisor or I had my own companies or I worked in other companies, uh, I really got that no matter what industry you're in or what you're selling or so forth, I think it was Tony Robbins who said, like, the only way to assure that you truly are gonna have money or can have money or can make money is by consistently delivering value to people. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of business jargon out there about you know, adding value and what does that mean or so forth. At the end of the day, I think distilled to its, its core essence is really understanding what people's problems are and are you able to solve them and do you have a better mousetrap than the guy next to you? Yeah. Um, I wasn't the guy who, you know, tried to like recreate and do things uh, kind of from nothing. I was the guy who saw principles that were tried and true and just applied them in a different way. Yeah. And so um, I think that there's an opportunity, you know, funny, I really got my start in the internet business, but really I think that in a way our communication and our society has gone too far the other way where because we have the ability to connect on email or text or voice blast or cell phone or texting, uh, people stop listening to people. Yep. And at the end of the day, like there's all these things that we can do to keep ourselves busy, but you know, really understanding what people's problems are, right? So in the private lending business and in, in legacy capital, um, sure, we, we charge for the renting of our money, right? So. But, re but money is a commodity, right? So if they don't use my money, they're going to use someone else's money, or they're going to use a bank's money or, or so forth, right? And so specifically, 
Like what, what else do we provide that is of value to them, right? Because we say you can get money anywhere, right? And so for our business, you know, my partner Doug and I have, you know, thought about how do we layer on really value in terms of like business consulting and what are the core challenges, right? So as a real estate investor, someone who's flipping, you know, our clients are flipping anywhere from, you know, three to 40 properties a year. You know, sure, they need money when it needs to be there, but really we look at our clients as business owners, Mm -hmm. right? They happen to be in the fix and flip or fix and rehab space, um, but we really spend uh, a lot of time, some people would say maybe too much time, getting to know our clients, understanding their problems, and we want to be a solution to that. And, And I think that that formula, whether you're in private lending or you're in development or you're a realtor or whatever you are, you have to understand who your target clients are, what their problems are, and how do you solve them. Yeah. I mean, I've seen on multiple occasions, you know, you guys are down on the second floor of your office here, but like, you know, there's a, I, I've borrowed money from you guys, I've borrowed money from other people. There's people where you just fill out an application, you talk to them on the phone, it's in your bank account, Yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. You guys, it's always your clients are coming in, you're introducing them, you're understanding like what their goals are, and you're, you're yeah. you know, you're helping them meet those goals and, and setting up a right. plan for them. Well, look, because from a, from a strategic position, um, there's always the, the cost of your services, right? Mm-hmm. So no matter what business you're in, there's probably someone who's bigger than you who could deliver the services cheaper. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to be into a business where I played the Walmart game, yeah. where I was just, my business only worked if I could deliver a service cheaper and cheaper. Right. So I'm, I like to think about businesses where uh, how I could charge the most mm-hmm. or charge a meaningful amount and it still be a value. Warren Buffett has this concept of uh, like a, a, a moat, a, a value, right? So how do you have a business, whether you're Heinz Ketchup or you're you know, Burger King or McDonald's or you're a private lender or you're anything where people value your services, right? I'll, I'll never forget I had a, a conversation with a realtor because uh, you know realtors are notorious for dropping their prices to get a listing. Of course. Yeah. And you know one of the most successful realtors I know is a woman named Shireen. She said, I never drop my listing price. And to me, there's something respectable about you know knowing your value, communicating your value, and consistently delivering in that. And I think if you do those things, you know, success comes. I completely agree. Well, that's, uh, that's a great answer. Uh, I mean, Mic drop. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, you know, the value. And I think, you know, a lot of people get in the business and they just say, oh, I'm here to make money. I'm here to make money. I'm here to make money. And the one thing that they're not realizing is the money comes when you do provide that value and you provide that level of service to someone that they can't find anywhere else. Right. You know, they'll pay whatever. I mean, we've had clients go, I, I will pay whatever if you can handle L&I and get me through it. Right? right. Exactly. And I think that the flip side of that is I think, look, Anytime you start a business, you're probably willing to take on business that maybe when you're at scale or a few years in, you won't take on. Ours was a $200 rendering of <laughs> right. 40 hours. We all remember yeah. our, you know, yeah. our, 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 what was first, your first yeah. one? What's the first, like talk like marketing, give me a marketing thing that you did for a I took, so the first, so when we had our internet marketing agency, I still remember the name. So we, we marketed a yoga studio for, we charged her $397 a month. Okay. Uh, for ongoing marketing services to like market a yoga 
studio. Like, it was laughable, but like, I remember going to pick up the check. I was yeah. so psyched. Vicky yeah. gave me the check. Like, she treated me like family. She offered me some food. I mean, to me, that's like, that got my start. Like, now it's like, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do for three ninety seven? you know? But yeah. um, I barely check out at BJ's for that. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Certainly not Whole Foods. I mean, Amazon, but, um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, so. Yeah. What sort of competitive advantages did you notice early on when you were starting to really, really do things differently than your bigger companies? Yeah, I, I think that no matter what size you are, Look, there's advantages to being smaller and nimble, right? Right. So, you know, whether it's the so, if you just take the the banking industry for example, right? Mm-hmm. So, I do banking with some large banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and I also have some local accounts here in Philadelphia, DNB and and Key Bank and PNC and so forth. And, you know, the big banks, I'm a nameless person, right? They're mm-hmm. really not going to give me a business loan until I'm, I don't know, tens of millions of, of dollars in. Um, they don't know my name. They really don't care too much, you know, for, for, for the level of business. When you go to a smaller branch like a PNC, you know, Mr. Greco or all that stuff, which is probably a little too much, but, you know, th- there's a way that you get treated at a local business, whether it's a local yep. coffee shop or a a local so forth that look to be known you can do that when you have a handful of clients and you know your all your clients kid name and you know what's truly important to them you know as you go to thousands of clients and you become uh, you know Jeff Bezos doesn't know everyone who's ordering right his, his yeah. products but um, I think there's so you have to understand your competitive landscape and you need to understand what value and and that value will change as you get bigger, right. um, but hopefully, you know, the core of what you're offering still stays the same. Definitely it's staying true to your core, you yeah. know, as you grow. And I think that we've adapted a lot yeah. at DB and changed as I mean, times it, change. And it's almost happening weekly. Like, I know even, you know, on our architectural department, you know, I mean, overall company-wise, we're just about, if you include a construction, we're over 100 projects for the year. But if you include architectural visualization, we're just shy of 100 projects halfway through the year. It's epic. It's, it's mm-hmm. the most we've ever done. Some, it's more than two years combined, some of them. Mm-hmm. But the one thing we notice is, like ma- like you said, maintaining the client relationships. Like, yeah. how do I get on the phone with these clients? How does Scott handle them? You know, it's almost like one thing we're trying to do is keep selective clients. Like, have Matt Marcarelli, one of our licensed architects, handle clients only. And he's mm-hmm. the point man in interfacing with them and splitting that up and giving Scott a handful of clients. And, you know, Scott's handling some of our clients that, we've been, that have been with us since day one, right? Yeah. So it's how do we start growing and scaling to make every one of our clients feel like we, I can call them and know the name of their daughter or call them and, and know what, where they went to dinner last week, you know? Look, if the small clients are listening, you know, you hope that, you know, we, we do treat them like that. The reality is in business, you, you have a time constraint, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so, yeah. so payroll, we got to run payroll. Yeah. You got to, you got to pay, pay. Like, so, you know, the question is, you know, for your, largest clients or your best clients, which by the way, aren't necessarily the people who pay you the most, Mm -hmm. but they may be the less hassle to deal with or so forth. Mm -hmm. How do you consistently deliver to them? Um, And uh, whether it's DB or or my business, we're in a business where the transactions can happen quite frequently, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys might do a rendering for, you know, someone and then it may lead to 10 in a short time. Right. Um, So. I mean, definitely, trying to have a client for life 
mm-hmm. even from that first conversation, mm-hmm. you know, just saying that this client's going to be with us until they stop doing business, mm-hmm. you know, and I was taught that way in retail mm-hmm. and every conversation I had not to prejudge what that person was maybe going to buy, Yeah, you know, and I think that, right, we've taken on renderings for less than a hundred dollars just because it's a contact or just because of what it could be. Oh, don't say to. that on the well, right, maybe not. <laughs> So no, we've done stuff. For no, we've free. done for free, you yeah. know, just because, and you know, that's valued at five figures and above, yeah. just because of what it could turn into, and that adaptiveness that we've always had in this company is, I think, what's really important for a new business to grow. And you, you say yourself, you were adaptive, you know, yeah. in '05 and, and on, and that's what led to you to kind of shift and change things. Yeah, and, and look, even at DB, there's a sense of you guys being young, nimble, and cool. Which, you know, if you think about the traditional architecture firm. You know, they're not necessarily the three words you describe are young, hip, and cool, right? Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, how do you how do you play against that? And, and, and then I don't, I, don't think, I don't I don't think we're that cool, by the way. <laughs> Tony, you're, you're cool Tony's to me. The, Tony's <laughs> the least coolest out of everyone, right? Um, and that's something. Trust me, I know I'm not going to be young forever. I, I'm looking at the business like, what happens when I'm 65? I'm, I don't look as young, cool, and hip. As I hope exactly. I do. Exactly. I saw a picture before and after of Jeff Bezos when he <laughs> yeah, was saw that. Yeah, saw 55, it. where he's jacked up like. Uh, like Rocky from Rocky Three, you know, like that. That looked great. Like someday, I'll, hopefully, I'll look like that. But I'm not, you know. Be, on the, look, be on the lookout, everybody, for young, Brian at 55. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's, you know, you're 10 years old. You're to me, you're young, hip, and cool. And I know, like, I don't think if you just, it's back to almost like your vision and where you're heading. And I think if you can keep that as a company, that will drive whether I'm 80 sitting here with a cane yeah. or um, you could be 80 and still be young hip and cool yeah. that's what I think is what we're hearing here yeah. look the, uh, the the book traction right which yeah. is a good uh, called operating system for a lot of entrepreneurial startup companies we use it in our business uh, Gino shout out to Gino Wickman get yeah. a grip on your business get a grip <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know just Making sure that you consistently deliver. What what you deliver now may change, but um, as long as you're consistently well, uh, Let's talk about that delivery. I want to talk, do you have any sense, because there's been times where we haven't delivered enough to a client. Like it happens, right? Like people yeah. aren't perfect. No one's perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, how? what what have been your, like, we've had issues where we haven't delivered to what the client thought they were receiving. And how do you go about recollecting that? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a couple things, right, depending on the nature of the business. But let's say you guys are in a, a relationship business from the sense of it's not simply, you're not selling a, a, a book, click here, buy that. There's interaction, right? And by the way, in your architecture business, things change, right? So they might want to add a third story or they yeah. may want a new bathroom. So, so, so things change. Um, I think you have to ask if it's a systemic problem or an individual problem you know, client or communication problem, right? So if it is a systemic problem, how do you, if you look at, you know, the reasons or the quantity of when things went awry, Mm -hmm. um, and you start to test and throw up against the wall, what can make a difference? Meaning, if it is a communication thing, or if you're finding that a meaningful amount of your projects, when you get to the end, your client is not satisfied, is that because expectations were not set up front, yep. right? So in the internet marketing business, right after we signed and they made their first payment, we would have a kickoff call where we would go over their intake form, we would set expectations. Um, so is it is it something upfront? Is it the communication throughout the process or is it what gets delivered? Because there are 
look, there's a lot of touch points when you're in a relationship business. The, the magic happens when you figure out what are the ones that make a difference. And so... And also communicating them to that client, too, so he's on the same page. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had... I've had a client that literally freaked out on us for the same issue where the same issue happened to another client. It, was, it wasn't systemic. It was something with the, that the city did. Mm-hmm. And the client that freaked out on us didn't want to deal with us. And the client that... Same thing happened. He was like, hey, guys, you know, I understand things happened. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I appreciate your outlook. Left us a five-star rating on Facebook. And then you have the other client that wants us to burn in hell. Right? <laughs> well, that I mean, that's, that's the other thing. You're, you're, you're always going to have, when things go awry, right, is it, if you look internally at your company, is it something you guys can change going forward? Or, look, someone on the other end having a bad day slash, you know, they're, they ran out of, you know, the, yeah. something happened on their side. And I think you just need to get clear on yeah. um, what that is. But look, all great businesses started somewhere, probably mediocre, right? And all there is to do is continue to tweak and um, imp- improve and analyze things. and keep yeah. moving forward. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. Um, let's just talk a little bit about the future. I'm mm-hmm. all about the future. Tony knows that. And, you know, we're talking about the future of value add. How do you, how do you see the value add becoming in five years, like do you, is, back to your point where you mentioned, hey, everyone, you know, it, it's becoming almost automated in a way people are yeah. dealing with each so, other. Talk, talk to me about right, what, so, how you see the value add changing over the next five years. Yeah, so I even, so even if you take a, a little step back in terms of the internet, right? The, the internet and the pervasive use of it has been a fundamental shift in our society, mm-hmm. right? You don't need to ask people questions anymore, you just Google it, right? And you can email people and you can text people and all that stuff, right? And that type of communication still doesn't fulfill on like the human connection, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that there's, technology is a blessing and a curse, mm-hmm. and right? So how technology is, is used and implemented, um, I think could bring down companies and I think it could could bolster companies, right? And so I think the question was, what, like, what do I see the future yeah. going forward? Yeah, like dealing I, with clients and, and providing that value add. Like, how do you see that shifting over the next five years? Yeah, so I, I think that there's, I think that there's, I think one, people can use too much technology, mm-hmm. right? So I, I talk about, uh, so I got, I tore my ACL the first dance of my wedding, right? So I talk about going, and I got my uh, ACL surgery at Rothman Institute, right? And I was um, very impressed with the way the whole system went, right? Not that it was perfect, but, you know, I was on the fence about getting my ACL surgery. The doctor came in there in his white lab coat. He was <laughs> very definitive. You need it. You're young. You're going to have a family someday. And I scheduled my appointment, right? And yep. he had his schedule, schedule. My point is, they use technology like for the intake, right? Yeah. But they don't have some robot sitting in the room telling me, oh, you need surgery, yeah. right? They, they talk to me like a human being and I got to know Dr. Zakati or I got to know, and so there's, there's do, a fine do line. Do you ever see that going away? Ever see what? Ever see that, that one-to-one? So I'm like, my personal opinion, I don't get the whole AI thing. Mm-hmm. I don't get the whole that thing. Like, I don't think you're going to replace people. Unless okay. the robots kill us all. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> I, 
you know, there's a lot of money being thrown around for different ventures and stuff these days, especially in Silicon Valley. But um, I think that that you're not going to replace it. I actually think that people try and use technology as a crutch when they haven't figured out how to communicate slash listen. Their value add. Their value add, exactly. (laughs) Communicating it the right way. Yeah. Now, or, or even do they have have they identified the value add? Yeah. Are they just kind of blasting it out to right. people? Hey, we do this. Hey, we do this. Right. Without really knowing what the problem of right. their end consumer is. Now, if you were to ask me before Amazon, would I like to not have to go to a retail store again and have everything just <laughs> shipped to my door front? I'm not sure, but I do love it. Yeah, you know. Now we do. I, my parents and I recycle two. all my boxes just. <laughs> <laughs> my parents get Amazon Fresh almost every week, and it's like right. baffling to me. They haven't been to a supermarket in six, seven months. Right. Uh, I mean, things change, you know. And yeah. and Amazon just trying to replace Barnes and Noble, you know, is now yeah. delivering food. Right. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the crazy thing about the value add. But I wonder though. So the, 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 those are like products that are set, right? Right. Meaning, even if you go to a grocery store, you know you want a pound of almonds, right? That, and you, they may have better suppliers mm-hmm. than other suppliers, but that, to me, is a fundamentally different sale than you want a rendering for a, a building oh, or yeah. you want a private money loan or th- there's, like, there's intake that needs to happen and it's a fundamental... You're selling a service versus a product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, service versus product... Maybe we could talk about that for a couple of minutes because that's something we've always talked about, you know, mm-hmm. internally. Are we selling services to people or at the end of the day, are we selling products, you know, these visualizations I, or these I almost documents? think people want, I, I mean, at least some of the feedback we've seen, I almost think people want to buy services like products. I mean, you look at what Amazon's doing on the service front, you can go to their website now and hire a plumber. Really? Really. <laughs> Click, hire plumber. That's Tom Dead Series. So, so they're like Angie's List or whatever now? Better. Because yeah. Angie's List just tells you about them. These, you can go there, learn about them, read the review, and hire them. Schedule a call with a click of a button. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's so they've taken that service, that one-to-one, that plumber coming out and fixing your leaky plumbing, you know, and he's there to lay some pipe with a click of a button. It's crazy. And that, that's just one example. I mean, you know, one thing on our end, you know, with the renderings and the visualization side, giving our clients the opportunity to click a button and buy it, even though it's cool. one-to-one interface, in a service. Well, the flip side of that is understanding your customers, meaning I'm guessing, you know, Amazon, what the end of the day they're fulfilling with the Echo or the thing you can just order a new yeah. detergent with the, you know, mm-hmm. the thing, is they're solving for time, right? Yes. And so that is a huge commodity, right? Mm-hmm. And so certainly making it easier for people to say yes and, and so forth. Even, you know, in our business, how we collect documents and there's an automated email, and there's a checklist and there's just things that happen automatically. Um, but when you're doing personalized stuff, uh, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is in terms of having the level of human interaction. Um, there's certainly, there's certainly things that can be optimized, but. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think the companies that are going to win in the next five to 10 years are those that provide that authenticity because everyone's hustling to get away from it. Mm-hmm. That one-to-one. Everyone is. Uh, uh, this is what I was going to say about the internet. You reminded me. So, you know, when the internet first started, people were selling a bunch of stuff off the internet. Whether mm-hmm. And people, you know, in the internet marketing space, you know, we all tried, you know, sold our own things. And I could tell you about how I sold, uh, you know, pretzels. Pa- passing. Well, no, I sold pretzels, but I, I used to sell, <laughs> I used to sell passing kidney stone kits. Because I had the domain name passingkidneystones.net. But crazy how the world comes around, right? right? But my yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my point is, is that 
I think the shift is that you used to be able to hide on the internet, mm-hmm. right? You used to be able to create this other persona. Now, you can put what you want on your website, but people are going to find your Facebook. They're going to find your LinkedIn. Sure. They're going to know people who know you. Yeah. And, and if you're, you know, I believe if you're not a good person, if you don't treat people well, like that's going to get... It's going to get out. It's going to get flushed out, yeah. and which I think is an amazing thing for people who do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I mean... Do we, know, doing the right thing is the right thing. Doing the right thing is the right thing. Not skipping a letter in the alphabet, I think. If you can do that and you can show people, like, what do you got to hide? Why would people not work with you? Why would they even go and work with another company that's not putting themselves out there when yeah. they can watch and see the authenticity mm-hmm. for how much you care and give a shit about what you're doing day to day for people? And mm-hmm. I think that's... That's going to win at the end of the day. And the internet, you know, back to this point, drives that, right? I put stuff on LinkedIn. I put a video of me giving a commencement speech. Like, that's no bullshit. Like, I, you know, that's, that's there and people can see that. Like, so right. when you come and look at me, oh, who's this kid? You can see there's backing to me. It's not just, oh, Brian, some kid that got lucky and built a business, yeah. right? There's that presence around what I did. And then the other people in my office, you can go to Tony's and see that he's an amazing guitar player and, and you can see how good he is at golf. You can see how excited he is to come to work today, right? Yeah. I don't know Tony from Adam, but I know he's passionate about what he does. He can rip the guitar and he's a scratch golf player, <laughs> right? All only, from, in well, only in the summer. Only in the summer. Only in the summer. Tony is actually the Roxborough champion right now <laughs> yeah. at the Walnut Golf, golf I got course. I got my Spring Cup yeah. champion uh, trophy <laughs> sitting on my desk. It's exciting. But that, that's something that people aren't, aren't, aren't grasping hold of. Like, get it out there. Show people how how passionate you are about what you're doing. Be Show people that you're not a jerk off, right? That always I mean, people too. might not like watching your videos, but the people that care enough will. Yeah. And, and they will be excited and they will want to work with you. But just putting yourself out there and showing that authenticity of how you conduct yourself is only going to help you in the future. Yeah. And, and I honestly think, you know, I told Tony this all the time, our kids are going to thank us, right? The kids are going to listen to us. Your grandkids, right? This, this information is not going anywhere. Right. Like what's going to happen in a hundred years from now on this podcast? Who's right. it's still going to be out there? I'm going to be I'm going to be six feet under, or I'm cremated. Do I, I get know, a part of the rev share for the ads of that get sold around yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. exactly. All right. All right. <laughs> but no, I think uh, you know we can we can wrap up here. The one thing, Jeff, and I know you're the first guest we've had on this show. We want to we want you to say essentially, give us the one thing you would like to share with our listeners, and and I think if. If I'm, if, if I'm listening to this and I've never ran a business and I'm trying to get into something in this new how economy that we're living in, mm-hmm. what's the one piece of advice that you could give listeners to either getting started or how to maintain yeah. something? What, what, give it to me straight. Right. So I think the piece of advice I would give, there's a lot of talk out there about finding your passion, seeing what you're passionate about, all this stuff. At the end of the day, I'm a trial and error guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I truly believe that you're only really... Su- you're only successful in something if you truly love what you do. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to love, nobody loves what they do 100% of the time. There's going to be tough times. There's going to be all that stuff. But I think my piece of advice would be just keep trying things. Mm -hmm. And I would never have had the career I had or understood I could make a living doing what I do if I wouldn't have, you know, tried to sell water door to door or, you know, (laughs) tried, tried a million, you know, a million different things. And so I think once you find that, um, it's pure gold and, and you know you can do self-discovery and you can do assessments and you can talk to people. But at the end of the day, I would say keep trying until you find something that truly fulfills you. And then once you do, 
bust your ass. Love, I love that. it. Love that's, that. That's pretty much the, anyone can have the dream, but the hustle sold separately. Exactly, exactly. We, we have, uh, we have uh, Doug bought a poster in our office that hangs proudly that says you can't deposit excuses. You can't yeah. deposit excuses. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, that's right. a really good one. Well, I think that that's pretty good way to end this yeah, episode. We're I don't know about you, mic drop again. <laughs> Another mic drop. That was great, man. Uh, really appreciate you giving that perspective and just being raw with us, you know, authentic. You know, yeah. That's kind of what we try to do with our listeners. No, I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm excited. You know, I know that you guys have talked about this and you guys are action takers, so... I'm certainly excited to listen and, and see what this becomes, and I'm you know grateful for the opportunity to be here. And uh, we're going to reference episode four with Jeff Greco at episode two hundred. So don't forget. I think from now <laughs> on, I think from now on we should just call it the episode. The episode. Hi <laughs> <laughs> right, Jeff, we'll really appreciate it, and uh, we hope everyone got some value out of this. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with someone who would mean the world to us, you can reach out to us at thenewhowpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we really hope you got a lot of value out of this episode that you're going to put towards your business and real estate endeavors.